And this is day 149 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Isaiah chapters 62 through 66, which conveniently is the end of the book. Lord Heavenly Father, as we pass through the Christmas season, please remind us, Lord, that your birth was not just a one-time thing that we don't think about until the next Christmas. But Lord, we should be constantly setting our minds on things above rather than on the earth below, as you have called us to do. May we examine the significance of what you've done, the things that you are constantly doing, the ways that you have redeemed us, and the way that you have always provided for us. Please help us to be constantly reminded by your goodness and your faithfulness, and that we may reflect that in our relationship with you and with each other. Please bless the reading of this word, in Jesus' name, amen. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not keep quiet, until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said of you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said, desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. And give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his strong arm, I will never again give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will foreigners drink your new wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, lift up a standard over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they will call them the holy people the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Bozrah, this one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength? It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red? and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress. I have trodden the wine trough alone, 
and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger, and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger, and made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled, and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. Then his people remembered the days of old, of Moses. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them, to make for himself an everlasting name. Who led them through the depths? Like the horse in the wilderness, they did not stumble. As the cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and glorious habitation. Where are your zeal and your mighty deeds? The stirrings of your heart and your compassion are restrained toward me. For you are our Father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not recognize us. You, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. Why, O Lord, do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden our heart from fearing you. Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people possessed your sanctuary for a little while. Our adversaries have trodden it down. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who were not called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. 
you meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time, and shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire, and all our precious things have become a ruin. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, Here am I, here am I, to a nation who did not call on my name. I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. A people who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks, who sit among graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh and the broth of unclean meat is in their pots, who say, Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will even repay into their bosom, both their own iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers together, says the Lord, because they have burned incense on the mountains and scorned me on the hills. Therefore I will measure their former work into their bosom. Thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for there is benefit in it, so I will act on behalf of my servants, in order not to destroy all of them. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob, and an heir of my mountains from Judah. Even my chosen ones shall inherit it, and my servants will dwell there. Sharon will be a pasture land for flocks, and the valley of Accor a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. But you, who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune, and who fill cups with mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword, 
and all of you will bow down to the slaughter. Because I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not hear. And you did evil in my sight, and chose that in which I did not delight. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. Behold, my servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. Behold, my servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. Behold, my servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you will cry out with a heavy heart, and you will wail with a broken spirit. You will leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones, and the Lord God will slay you. But my servants will be called by another name, because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my sight. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of one hundred, and the one who does not reach the age of one hundred will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand has made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. But he who kills an ox is like one who slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is like the one who breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering is like one who offers swine's blood. He who burns incense is like the one who blesses an idol. 
as they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations, so I will choose their punishments, and will bring on them what they dread. Because I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. And they did evil in my sight, and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you, who exclude you for my name's sake, have said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But they have been put to shame. A voice of uproar from the city, a voice from the people, the voice of the Lord who is rendering recompense to his enemy. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Or shall I who gives delivery shut the womb, says your God? Be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. Be exceedingly glad with her, for all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breasts, that you may suck and be delighted with her bountiful bosom. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed, you will be carried on the hip, and fondled on the knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Then you will see this, and your heart will be glad, and your bones will flourish like the new grass, and the hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but he will be indignant toward his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh, and all those slain by the Lord will be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go to the gardens, following one in the center, who eat swine's flesh, detestable things, and mice, will come to an end altogether, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and will send survivors from them to the nations, Tarshish, Put, Lud, Meshech, Tubal, and Javan, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. Then they shall bring all their brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord, on horses, in chariots, in litters, on mules, and on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem.
says the Lord. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, I will also take some of them for Levites and for priests, says the Lord. For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make, will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. Okay, so we have now finished the book of Isaiah, the longest book of the Bible besides the Psalms. So we need to examine what we've read here, because I'm really sad that we're leaving Isaiah. There's so much in here that's so beautiful, and it's so descriptive of who God is, as well as what's coming in the future, that it's hard to depart from it. But we will find better things in his word as we get closer to the New Testament, where we get to see our Lord Jesus walk the earth. Well, let's examine what we have here. So chapter 62 is a promise from God that he will restore Israel. And this is more speaking toward the millennial kingdom. So, for example, it'll say here in verses 4 and 5, It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be called desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her, which is the translation of Hephzibah in the Hebrew. And your land will be called married, which is Beulah. So really, this entire chapter is about how God is going to restore Israel. But again, it seems like it points to the future Israel, which is how we are God's chosen people, just as much as the Israelites were. And so it seems like it's more leaning towards that because we're also called the Bride of Christ. But in the same way, Israel was always a wife, so to speak with God as well, because God said himself that he was their husband, and yet he was faithful to them, and they were not faithful to him. So it can go either way, but it's showing more toward the millennial kingdom, which if we understand that, we are part of the millennial kingdom. So that's why I think it's more towards the, the current spiritual Israel that we have being built in our midst. And this is not the first time we've seen it, but he reminds us here in verse 11, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. See, it's not just Israel, right? Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. So this is prophesying the Messiah again. If you read this half, it points toward his second coming, because he says this, Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So it does say, and Jesus himself says that at the end of Revelation, that, Behold, I am coming soon, and I, my reward is with me. So he's going to issue judgment, and he is going to give you rewards for what you do on earth. 
That's why Jesus himself said that you need to store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And how do we do that? By being obedient to God's word. And, well, I don't have a big ministry. Well, I don't do a whole lot in my church because I don't have a lot of talents. Well, that's not necessarily true, but also at the same time, not everybody is meant for greatness. Jesus also said this as well as, for those who were given little are needing to be faithful with the little they have. And if you are faithful with it, God could increase it. You need to demonstrate faithfulness in a little before you be granted much. So if you have a small ministry right now, this is that's not a big problem. Ultimately, as we know from the way God works, is he cares about your heart. If you're jealous or feeling defeated because you don't have a big following, then you're going about it the wrong way. That's pride. Be happy with what God gave you and let God be in control of the outcome. You just serve faithfully and be happy in what you're doing. Be satisfied, content. Just being willing to serve, that's all he wants, and he'll take care of the rest. Chapter 63 is broken up into about three different pieces here. We see the first third of it, which is up to about verse 6 which looks like it is judgment for God's enemies. Because at first it mentions somebody who came out of Edom with glowing garments. But it mentions that he is one who is majestic in his apparel. The language here seems to indicate that this is the Messiah. This is Christ in his second coming. How he is coming to issue judgment. And his clothes are red because, like he says here in verse 3, I trod them in my anger, I trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments and stained all my raiment. His clothes are red because of the blood spilled from the guilty, from those who are unrighteous. That's scary. That is very scary. In verse 7, through a good portion of the rest of the chapter, we see a confession of sorts from God's people. They seem to be admitting their guilt in God's sight and then praising him for who he is. You'll see some parallels here from the New Testament, like in verse 10, but they rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. We also read that in the New Testament, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said as well as that to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is a terrible thing. And in Jesus' day, he said that's an unforgivable sin. Ouch. His people remind themselves of what God has done in the past, as well as remembering that God is their Father. And this is language you haven't heard too much in the Old Testament. That idea that God is our Father. It's very commonplace now, especially since we have the New Testament, and Jesus really drilled that into us, that God is our Father. But it's very nice to see the language here in the Old Testament, that language of God being our Father. And in such a way, that dynamic between Father and children is very much present here. Like it says in verse 17, Why, O Lord, do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden our heart from fearing you? 
Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Sometimes I feel like God does that, right? <laughs> oh, it hurts when I think about it. Why does it feel like you, will, you want us to stray away? And you harden our hearts from fearing you. It makes me wonder. I don't think he's being sincere when he says this, because like when we think of the Psalms, it's like, Lord, why do you hide your face? Will you abandon us forever? Obviously, God's not going to do that. He's not going to abandon us. So maybe he's just expressing frustration and letting it out on God in that way. But at the same time, sometimes it does feel like that. Sometimes it does feel like God pushes us away sometimes when either we have messed up or he's wanting us to learn some sort of a lesson. Because sometimes I'll just be on fire for him and diligently praying and being solid on all my efforts. And then I feel it slipping away. Oh, and I oh, I get so angry when I think about those times because I just see how weak I am. And it really just shows me how much God carries me all day long. Even the hardness of my heart is all Him. But at the same time, we still have a process that we need to follow. And even if we're not feeling it, so to speak, we still need to be faithful to God in prayer and in reading His Word. Because if we are going by our emotions to determine where our spiritual life is, that's very immature. Our relationship with God should be like a relationship we have with other loved ones in this world, in terms of like a marriage, for example. When you are dating somebody or getting engaged or newly wed, you know, you just have that excitement, that young puppy love and Things are just so new and so great, and things are just, you're on, you feel like you're always on top of the world, right? But as you get older, those feelings are still there, yes, but they're deeper now. There's something more significant that remains. After being married for 15 years myself, I still love my wife very much. I love her more now than I did 15 years ago. Not only that, desire to know her physically, but also just that everything is so new and so fresh and so exciting. And But 15 years later, things are more settled. Things are not as exciting, so to speak, as they used to be. And that's okay, because I'm learning how to know her more deeply, to love her more deeply. And we still have lots of fun. It's just different. And so, there, and as we know, all relationships have their ups and they have their downs, right? But just because I'm having an off day with my wife, for example, doesn't mean I have the right to cheat on her, you know? And we do that with God, don't we? When we're like, oh, I don't feel that spiritual high today. Let me go and do whatever makes me happy. And that is usually not what God desires for us. So we got to be careful with that because... That is a lack of maturity. And what God wants us to do is to be immovable, to be steadfast in his word. Like Psalm chapter 1 says that we are a tree firmly planted by streams of water. The streams of water being the word of God, giving us life and sustenance. That's what he desires for us. 
Chapter 64 is in a continuation of the same confession from those who believe in the Lord. And this seems to be more of a prayer for divine intervention of some kind. But here's a couple of key things that we need to note from this scripture here that are very important. It's the same language like we read in the Psalms that there is no one who does good, not even one. There is no one who's righteous. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. Same language here in verse 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. We are all unclean in the sight of God. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. The best that we can give God in our flesh is like dirty rags to him. Remember that God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't depend on us for anything. He has his desires and he has his expectations, but he doesn't need us at all. He reminds us of that, that he is the one who made everything. He says that later on. But we need to remember that we are not as good as we think we are. We are not as great as we lift ourselves up to be. The best we can offer God is nothing but dirty rags to him. We are no longer in this category because we are saved by his grace. But in our natural state, this is what we are. The only reason why God sees us as righteous now is because of his son, Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with us. We did absolutely nothing to contribute to our salvation. And just like we were just talking about how the lack of maturity takes us away from God, like it says here, all of us wither like a leaf. When the heat is on, sometimes we don't stick around, right? And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Yeah, sin causes us to wander off. We drift away, we blow away, kind of like a dandelion. There is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. Such beautiful language to show that we are absolutely nothing. God is the one who formed us, and he is the one who sustains us. Now, this admission here that we are clay and you are the potter, this is very important because the person who is stating all this in chapter 64 is proclaiming that I completely submit to you. Just like I am wet clay, Lord, mold me and make me into whatever you want me to be. I am completely giving my life to you, and I hold nothing back. Can we be like that, please? Because that's what God expects from us. Bear in mind, when I say all this, I'm talking to myself too. I'm not past this. I'm in the same boat as everyone else. Chapter 65 is where God responds to this prayer. And he is showing how he has given us forgiveness and we have repented. He mentions all these things, how rebellious the people were at the very beginning here, how they were 
continually provoking him in verse 3, offering sacrifices on these pagan altars, doing all these things in secret, eating swine's flesh, eating unclean meat, which was in his law. He will not keep silent, but he is going to exact his vengeance on them, like he says in verse 6. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. Both their own iniquities and their iniquities of their fathers together, they are going together. But you see that each person is responsible for their own sin. There are some religious systems out in the world today that say, well, if you are in the family religion, then I can affect your salvation and vice versa. God makes it very clear each person is personally responsible for their own individual salvation. Then beginning in verse 9, he shows that he is again going to leave a godly remnant. Not just any remnant, but a godly remnant. God's chosen people. In verse 11, he reminds us one more time, But you who forsake the Lord, the one who forgets my holy mountain, who sets a table for fortune, and this is those who worship the God of fortune, you know, luck and chance and coincidence or tarot cards or astrology, the worship of the stars and the horoscopes and all of that. He's going to do something to that. And those who fill their cups with mixed wine for destiny, and those especially that want to defy destiny. I'm a big video game player, and there are lots of games that talk about defying destiny. You cannot defy God's destiny for you. I'm sorry. You can think you can, but you cannot overpower God. Not even close. Those people will be destined for the sword, and all of you will bow down to the slaughter. Because I called and you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not hear. What do you mean he called and he spoke? In his word, I mean, it's out in the open, and it has been for a very long time. This is who God is. This is what he's declared himself to be. Believe. And most of the world does not. So they are without excuse. Near the end of chapter 65, it starts leading into what is going to be the millennial kingdom once again, especially in verse 17. We see, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And this is interesting. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. I really struggle with this one because I'm not sure what this exactly means. Does this mean that when we go to heaven, we're not going to remember our life on earth? How am I going to know who anybody is in heaven if I don't remember my life on earth? Am I not going to remember all the hard times I had? Am I not going to remember any of the painful times that I've had? Or am I going to know those things and it's not going to bother me? Or I'm going to think little of it? I don't really know. This is a very mysterious verse because God has declared that there's going to be no more pain. Like he says later on in verse 19, that there's no, no longer any crying. There's no more any sadness. No more depression, no more anger, no more suffering. Am I going to forget all the suffering I had on earth? I don't know, but I think not. 
And the reason I say that is because in the book of Revelation, there are some people who were saints on earth at one point. They don't mention them by name, but they're the ones that are on that circle of thrones around God. And they mention things in their past life that were negative. And asking God, when are you going to exact vengeance for us? When are you going to cause your anger to fall upon those who persecuted us? Something like that. And so it makes me wonder, I don't think we will forget, but I don't think it'll matter anymore because we will be in heaven and this is the new stuff. I won't think about it very much because it's not important anymore. So maybe that's what it's going to be, but I really don't know. This is very interesting, though. So the rest of the chapter is about what the Millennial Kingdom will be like, where if a youth dies earlier than the age of 100, then there's something wrong, for example. Everything you do will prosper. All the works of your hands will produce results. I mean, that's amazing. Everything will be just as God has intended it to be. And then it even says that the animals will be there, it seems. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. No one's going to kill each other anymore. And I know we've talked about it before, but I think in the book of Genesis as well, I don't think there was any of that. I think all creatures at the very beginning were vegetarians because they did not eat each other because there was no death at the beginning. And it seems like animals didn't kill each other until after the flood of Noah, because then they would have killed each other on the boat, you know? But I don't know that for a fact, but that's what the Bible seems to suggest. But now it's going back to that, going back to a peaceful time where animals and humans can live in peace together, to coexist without us being destroying their habitats or oppressing them or killing them for sport. Everything will be peaceful, and I love that. Chapter 66 is the end of the book, and it ends on a note of what God thinks about hypocrisy. He begins with a rebuke. He starts off by saying, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. How are you going to build a house for me? Where is a place that I may rest? Why? Why do you do these things? Because my hand has made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. I've done everything. This is all my world. This is my universe. But this is what I am looking for. I'm not looking for you to do works. I'm not looking for you to hurt yourself. I'm not looking for you to say the right things to me. This is what I'm really looking for. Verse 2. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. This is not the first time he said it in the book of Isaiah, but this is a good reminder for us. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to be contrite, that feeling of lowliness, and that feeling of repentance, knowing how weak and insignificant we are in the sight of God, and someone who trembles at his word, who fears 
his name and fears his commandments. That's what he looks for. That's what he's always wanted from the very beginning. And he reminds us here very clearly what he expects. But then he shows us how people have done the opposite and they claim to love God. And so he pronounces a rebuke against this hypocrisy. And he finishes the chapter in Israel being restored, and we have plenty to rejoice about in the future because God has wonderful things planned for us in the new creation. He reminds us once more at the end of the book, in verse 23, It shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All mankind will come to bow down before me. In the judgment, all knees will bow before the Lord God. Whether, again, on your knees by choice, or if you are forced to your knees. Those who were forced to their knees, the ones who have transgressed against the Lord, like in verse 24, their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched. They will be an abhorrence to all mankind. That's hell. He's describing hell very clearly here. Their worm will not die. Their decay, their rotting will never end, and their fire will never end either. Very scary language to end Isaiah with. All these wonderful things are going to happen, but for those who don't believe me, this is where you're going. May that be something to leave with you, the fear of the Lord. I wouldn't have done it any better because he's God. So I hope you enjoyed the book of Isaiah as much as I did, because there was so much in here. I haven't even scratched the surface. It's certainly a book to study deeply and spend a lot of time in it. But for now, uh, that's all that I have. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.